0: I'm reading today from Matthew 11, starting from verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope.
1: Thanks so much, Bethany. I think in this world, we're, we're so used to people making big claims about themselves, aren't we? So I take this guy on the screen, Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest professional boxers the world has ever seen. And he said this before a world championship fight With Joe Frazier, there seems to be some confusion. We're going to clear this confusion up on March 8th. We're going to decide once and for all who is king. There's not a man alive who can beat me. I'm too smart. I'm too pretty. I am the greatest. I am the king. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way anyone could lick me. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) Let me get a bit more up to date. Kanye West, uh, that American uh, rapper, he was interviewed on late night TV and a question was asked about how he saw himself, you know, how, how he thought about himself. This is what he said. He said, for me, I'm a creative genius. There's no other way to word it, really. There you go. Paul Keating was once speaking at the Canberra press club he described himself as the placido domingo of australian politics right the greatest singer of the age you know when it comes to politics when we turn to matthew chapter 12 jesus makes claims about himself to make ali uh, kanye keating seem positively humble but we're 21st century aussies we're not first century jews so we could actually miss the gravity of what he says so let's let's dive into Matthew chapter 12 let's uh, see how we go right chapter 12 verse 1 uh, we read at that time right at that time uh, this is connecting us to the end of chapter 11 that we just heard read in verse 28 of chapter 11 Jesus has said I can give you rest and it takes us back to Genesis chapter 2 where on the seventh day right, God rests from all his labors now God didn't stop working you understand, God, if he did that, everything just collapses and falls to the ground. God always works, right? But the rest is speaking of the way he invites people into relationship with himself. It's a picture of that uh, beautiful connection with God on his terms. And now uh, we come uh, through to, to uh, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, we see a situation which is all about that rest. It's just another word for Sabbath, really, rest sabbath and we pick that up as we get into chapter 12 and this is at the heart of the clash between jesus and the pharisees verse 1 at that time jesus went through the grain fields on the sabbath his disciples were hungry and began to pluck some of the heads of grain and to eat them and you know the story don't you you're off out bushwalking. there's some uh, blackberries you know growing wild beside the pathway and you just pluck some you eat them no big deal okay Except it is a big deal, apparently. Verse 2, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, whenever we come to uh, the New Testament, if you've been reading it for a while, right, Jesus and his disciples turn up. They're always wearing white with smiles that look euphoric and we all go, hooray, right? And that's that sort of response. Pharisees turn up, they're always wearing black, they've always got scowls, and we boo, right? It's the boo-hooray thing when you come to the New Testament. But the reality is the Pharisees were good guys. <laughs> they, they were people who were trying incredibly hard uh, to please God, to do the things that the Old Testament said. And sometimes I think we're a bit, bit harsh on them, right? But remember, these fine upstanding Rotarians of the first century religious Rotarians, they do have it wrong because they'd missed the purpose of the Sabbath and the rest. Uh, If you read through the Old Testament, you would discover that Sabbath involved not working, right? There were rules around not doing that sort of thing. But that wasn't the main preoccupation with Sabbath. The main purpose of Sabbath was so that the people of God would stop and they would remember the salvation of God, the rescue of God, the kindness of God, his generosity to them. It was a day for celebrating, you know, for having, having fun because of all that God had done for them. The other thing about the Pharisees was, was because they were so keen on the rules uh, about how to please God, they went through the Old Testament and thought there was a bit of vagueness about some of the details of how to do that. So they constructed over 600 additional rules, additional, they added to the word of God, additional rules for how they should put their lives into practice. Over 20 of those rules were additional rules around how to operate on the day of the Sabbath, okay? Extra rules for that purpose. And here we come to a confrontation with Jesus over what it's appropriate to do on the Sabbath day. Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever said to you, a soft word turns away wrath. But is that a soft word? You know, when you're someone's angry in your face, you can back off and diffuse the situation. Right? Obviously, no one had said that to Jesus either because he then responds with statements that don't that defuse don't the situation. It's like he pours petrol on the fire. He throws bombs in just to explode the whole thing. <laughs> He's just inflammatory. He makes a series of, I am the greatest, statements. Okay. Firstly, he says, I'm greater than King David. Verse 3, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, he and his companions, and they had the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. We go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament. He takes them to King David, and that's what David did. He and his companions were hungry. They ate the bread that was set aside by the priests that wasn't lawful for anyone to touch or eat except for the priests. But David was allowed to eat it, and obviously that was appropriate. But you can hear the Pharisees, can't you? They're saying, yeah, you know. But he was the greatest king that Israel has ever seen. It's a bit like if um, Joe Biden, who's been in the press this week, say he came to Australia, President of the United States, lands at um, Canberra or Sydney Airport, right? The limo's waiting, the motorcade, all the police, everything like that. Off he goes in his stretch limousine, I'm plated down the road and the whole road is completely cleared because it's the president, right? Red lights, who cares? We just go straight through them. Now, you could say, how come I can't do that, you know? You know, I'm Australian. It's because you're not president of the United States of America. You get the point, that's the point that the Pharisees are making about Jesus. But get what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I... I am the king. I am greater than the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. I am the greatest. And then just in case they haven't picked it up, he decides to up the ante just a bit more, right? He says, I'm actually greater than the temple. Verse 5, haven't you read in the law that the priests on on Sabbath duty in the temple, they desecrate the Sabbath and yet they're innocent? Right, now understand what he's saying here. Do the priests stop working on the Sabbath? No, they don't. And uh, the Pharisees would have agreed with that. Uh, the law permits the priests to work on that day. So Jesus, are you saying you, you're a priest? You can see, the Pharisees could see their, their opportunity. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not saying I'm a priest. I'm greater than a priest. Verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now, Jesus knew that God wasn't contained by the temple. This wasn't just where God dwelt or anything like that, but it did express the very presence of God among them. And Jesus is saying, I am God present in your midst. It's huge. And then he goes on, just in case they really haven't got it, he takes it up a notch further. Verse 8. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of talking about himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. It is such a big claim. I stand above the Sabbath. I'm the one who gives that rest promised in Genesis chapter 2. I am God. Of course, we all know words are cheap, don't we? Muhammad Ali, just before that fight with Joe Frazier, made those outrageous claims and he lost the fight. He lost the fight. And so now we see what Jesus does next. Verse 9, it's still the Sabbath and Jesus goes to the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand, shriveled up and um, dead. We're not sure exactly the condition, but you understand that life's been tough for this guy. Verse ten looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, I ask him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now I want you to note it would have been very unusual for someone with this sort of condition that the man had to be in the synagogue. He would have been excluded from that sort of fellowship. So what's he what's he doing here? It's a setup. The Pharisees have engineered a situation to put Jesus on the spot and to test him. And here was the rule about healing on the Sabbath. If someone was in danger of dying on the Sabbath, fine, you could go ahead and heal them. Not a problem. But if there wasn't a risk of death, no worries. wait till tomorrow. Do it on the following day. Right? That was the rule that the Pharisees had come up with. Verse 11. Jesus says to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And you can, you can feel the grief of God in this situation, can't you? Here is a man in desperate need of a touch of God's grace, a touch of God, and you want me to say to him, come back tomorrow. Just come back tomorrow. They are so far from the heart of God, so far. And then Jesus, he completely restores the man's hand uh, what a what a wonderful point of celebration and joy and then verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and they plotted, and they might kill Jesus, gotcha, Jesus there's an irony here, isn't there? Uh, you can't work on the Sabbath but it's okay to plan to kill somebody. But friends, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He pushes back the walls of a world that is ravaged and broken, where sin uh, corrupts just about everything we touch. He is restoring broken human beings. It's just a wonderful window into the very nature of who Jesus is. Now, there are lots of ways we could dive into this and, and reflect on it. We could uh, talk about the risk that there is for Christians who, uh, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you forget the wonderful, mercy and grace of God and you start to live a layered life. You know, It's the life of accumulated behaviours. You, know, you start becoming more Christian. In the way you operate, nothing wrong with that. But you start to rely on that; it becomes the very thing that shapes your your sense of understanding. You're okay because you're living the Christian life. We could talk about that a bit. We could talk about the way churches uh, develop their rules. Uh, you yeah, know, we operate where the Bible's just a little vague. We step in, make it really clear, so that uh, we establish a whole range of accepted and unacceptable patterns that we're meant to live by. And the danger is we can move into a a mean-spirited harshness, both within our fellowship, but especially as we view the world. You know, we talked, Stephen really helpfully talked before about the way in which we're regarded uh, by the world around us, This this day being evil, right? So attack is the best form of defence, isn't it? You know, if we're being hated, let's be on the front foot. You know, It's easy to get into that sort of stage rather than maintaining a compassion for lost people who hate you. We could spend time on that. But what I want to do instead actually is just to focus our attention on what is the focus of attention in this passage. It's on the very character of Jesus. And just again, to just swell our minds with the knowledge of who he is the first thing is you you see here that jesus is extraordinarily divisive if we went a little later on in the chapter i won't throw the verse on the screen but verse 30 says jesus says this whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters and you understand this context he's saying to the pharisees your rules or my mercy your way or god's way if you're undecided about jesus you're not undecided about jesus you're against him that it's such a sharp and pointy statement it's really sharp in our multicultural tolerant pluralistic sort of the world isn't it that we'd have that, but it's true Is he the one who provides salvation or isn't he? can't can't be both. Jesus is saying, choose me. He doesn't say choose the path that's right for you. He's saying, choose me. He's not giving us lots of options. Harsh? Well, friends, he is gentle and lowly of heart. He gives rest. He'll give it to the man with the shriveled hand, he gives it to anyone who will come to him. But also, you in this passage, you just come face to face with the extraordinary mercy of God. So, you could come away from this and go, Man, Jesus, he just stacks up the miracles, doesn't he? He is so powerful, uh, so so authoritative. But you'd miss the main point the main point. Is about the amazing mercy of God here. If we go back to verse 7, Jesus says, and he's saying this to the Pharisees, if you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. At this point, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 6. And he's saying, Jesus, I am completely innocent. I'm full of the mercy of God. And I dispense mercy to the sick. He gives life to the man with the shriveled hand. He gives forgiveness to the weak, to the sinners. And the Pharisees, who are self-righteous, don't see the need for mercy because they're keeping all the rules of God, aren't they? If they realised their need for mercy, they would have fallen at Jesus' feet and begged him for forgiveness. So, friends, can I can I ask, do you and are you refreshed in your understanding of the mercy of God? Because as soon as you stray away from that mercy, you become a Pharisee. You can't help but do it. It's either the mercy of God, or it's nothing. Uh, and before, when I talked about uh, becoming a Christian on campus, and when I go past Adelaide University, it, it just strikes a chord with me and just reminds me that I stand in relationship with God not because I've lived the Christian life for 40 years but because God has been merciful to me every single one of those days. That's why I have relationship with him. Here's, I think, where you can test yourself. Whether that's true for you. How do you feel um, towards the unbelievers around you? Especially the ones who don't treat you terribly well? Do you find yourself full of compassion and mercy towards them? Bearing in mind that's the very situation Jesus finds himself in. He is full of grace, full of mercy. Full of generosity. But the other thing I want to finish on is to talk about the humility of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, Jesus is God walking this planet. He is the greatest. Um, how do you be humble as God on, when you're walking in the face of the planet? Oh, shucks, the miracle was nothing. Just got it right. <laughs> Just stumbled upon a solution to the man's shriveled hand. You, you know, we're, we're used to that sort of self-effacing sort of false humility in our world. And yet I want to say Jesus, while totally owning the fact that he is God on the face of this planet, is also completely humble. He's not self-promoting like uh, Muhammad Ali or Kanye or any of those guys. After he does yet another extraordinary miracle, Remember, he's at the height of his popularity at this stage. The masses just love him. In verse 15, we read this. Aware of this, now at this point, it's the plan of the Pharisees to kill him, verse 14. Aware of this, he withdrew from that place. Now, you could say, ah, self-protection. Doesn't want to get killed, steps away from the situation. I don't think that's what's going on here. Verse 16, a large crowd followed him, And he he healed all who were ill. He keeps displaying the extraordinary mercy of God. But he warned them not to tell others about him. So again, um, is he being self-protective? He's certainly not being self-promoting. You get that. Why did he want them to keep silent? Well, then we get this quotation from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 17. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He won't quarrel. Or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he won't snuff out. Until he has brought justice through to victory. And in his name the nations will put their hope. See this is the promised suffering servant of Isaiah. The one God promised to send to his people. And he displays this. This gentle grace, powerful, yet gentle, all rolled into one. The fragile are cared for. And the goal? Well, until he delivers justice and hope for the whole world. But how do you deliver justice for sinners? See, how do you deliver justice for those who reject God and don't treat Him properly, which is every single human being who has ever lived, every single person in this room? How do you deliver grace when justice demands judgment? Well, see, ultimately, Jesus' humility is measured not by his ability to be self-effacing. Uh, that's not how he does it. His, his humility is measured by his willingness to be the humble servant who goes to the cross because there he provides the rest of God, uh, the forgiveness for sins, uh, the, the mercy of God poured out on people like you and me who don't deserve it. Hope for anyone who will embrace him. Friends, this this passage you you confronted with Jesus, and if you've got eyes to see, you kind of were going, He is the greatest. You know, He's just so wonderful. Yeah, today we quite rightly um, remember Anzac Day, those who've fallen, and we remember their sacrifice, um, the things that they did in order to look after us their country uh, their descendants uh, this nation it's right it's it's a wonderful act of self-sacrifice but friends remember and i don't say this childly but remember how that pales by comparison with what jesus did Because Jesus came into this world and he lost lost his life at the cross. He won freedom and victory and forgiveness to all who put their trust in him. But notice who he won it for. He won it for his enemies. He won it for those who were opposing him. For those who'd rejected him. He won it for you and me. That is the character of our God. Friends, Jesus is the greatest he is and we're just to ah, drink in his wonderful character and his wonderful kindness can i pray for us let's pray heavenly father we thank you for uh, being able to stop here in uh, matthew chapter 12 and read of jesus wonderful grace and mercy father we see the strength of his character and purpose. We see his determination uh, to put the cards on the table. Uh, but, Father, we can't help but be uh, overwhelmed in the right sense by the grace and mercy that we don't deserve and yet which we we share in uh, because of your bringing in your rest relationship with you. Father, we pray that as a church, as in individuals, And we'll never recover from your mercy. Father, we pray that daily we'll be refreshed in it and encouraged by it. It'll shape all our relationships with other people. We'll deal with others with the mercy that you've shown us. And with those who oppose us, we'll be gentle. And with those who attack us, we'll be willing to lay down our lives for us. That you'll help us to be countercultural in a world that protects itself. So, Father, graciously go before us. Help us to live for your honor and glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.